Hi, my name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot audio ground school podcast hello 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 welcome in my name is nick smith the founder and creator of part-time pilot and the host of the audio ground school podcast in this podcast if you're not familiar we go through every single one of our lessons in the private pilot online ground school for from part-time pilot we just go through we read through the lessons and we any visuals that we have, which we have a lot of visuals in our ground school, we try to describe them as best as possible for you out there listening. And then we also add some more context and detail to some of the explanations and stuff like that. So thank you all for joining us on New Year's. It is officially 2024. That is so crazy, man. Time just flies so fast. Like, can't believe that it's 2024. So it's just wild. I hope you guys had good new year's eve good and safe new year's eve good holiday season and now you know getting back to reality maybe you have some resolutions in the past we've done a on new year's where you know we're not doing it this year but in the past we've done a five-day challenge you know starting in new year's for for resolutions for those out there who want to start maybe the process of becoming a pilot we're not doing that that anymore but if you are interested in those steps and the course that we use to teach people, you know, how to become a pilot and how to avoid all the pitfalls and stuff like that, reach out to us at team at parttimepilot.com and we can get you enrolled in that course for free. Tells you all the tips and tricks of how to pick the right flight school, how to know how much you're going to pay because those flight schools won't tell you the truth on how much you're actually going to pay. They're going to quote you something much lower than, than what's realistic. Tell you the general rules and what you got to do to get started, how to get your student pilot certificate, medical certificate, even tips and tricks to avoid getting denied on your medical certificates, so all that stuff. Reach out to us if you want that. I'll put a link to that actually in the show notes as well. And that is team at parttimepilot.com. You can email us or check out the link in the show notes. So we got that out of the way. Happy New Year's to everyone. It's crazy. We had an episode release on Christmas Day and now on New Year's Day. So we're just hitting all the holidays now. So this is episode number 74. And we finished in the online ground school. We finished last episode on Christmas. We finished section 14 of the online ground school on airport operations. Talked about takeoffs and landings and lasso clearances. We're going to now talk about pilot control and ground reference maneuvers. It's a new section, section 15 of the online ground school. And it covers things like steep turns, turns around a point, S turns, takeoff and landings and crosswinds and cross-checking. So a little bit more detail on the control of the aircraft and maneuvering it and stuff like that. So one disclaimer I just have to put out there that 
everything I say is just tips and tricks that I learned during my training from my flight instructors, from other flight instructors that I've read about that the FAA has published on how best to do these maneuvers safely and things that'll help you do these maneuvers safely and according to the FAA's requirements like on your check ride. So that's it. They're just tips and tricks. I am not telling you what to do. And I have to throw out the disclaimer that it's up to you and your flight instructor in your flight lessons in the plane to do what's best and understand how to do these and perform these maneuvers. I and part-time pilot have nothing to do with that. We're just going to provide tips and tricks, which you can use if you want, or just have them in mind, whatever. But ultimately it comes down to you and the flight instructor, and we're not responsible for anything that happens in the cockpit. We're just giving some helpful tips where we can. So now that I have that disclaimer out, we can get started. As always, let's read off. We just have one new review. The reviews have trickled in a little bit here, but I think I know for sure there's one here. So let's read off that review. That's from Kobe. Kobe says, five stars. I just signed up with part-time pilot and I just signed up with part-time pilot and I'm so confident I made the right decision. After vacillating, so this is, I want to thank Kobe because I had to look up what this word, word meant. So I learned a new word because of Kobe. And I'm still not sure if I'm even saying it correctly, but after vacillating on which school to join and the many websites I visited over the past nine months, Part-Time Pilot has the most user-friendly interface and comprehensive program in town, not to mention a 99.99% success rate or money-back guarantee. I'll see you guys and gals just under the clouds. And no, I do not know anyone at this academy. I'm just excited. Smiley face. That's awesome. I love the enthusiasm and thank you so much for the review. And thank you so much for teaching me a new word vacillate, which I looked it up and it means to kind of go back and forth between uh, options when you're making a decision. So the perfect use of the word there and you, I learned something. So thank you. All right. So that's just the, the one review. Let's move on quickly to our next kind of segment that we've been doing. And that is listener questions or questions from our Facebook study group. So this one is been asked a couple times now at a couple different places. We've got this asked our email on our Instagram at part period time period pilot on Instagram. And we've also been asked in the Facebook study group because we just announced that we updated and it's now on Amazon, our ultimate private pilot test prep book. I think I talked about this a little bit last episode, but so I updated there. The FAA written changed in the spring of 2023. You know, they don't release answers or anything like that. So questions and answers, and it's illegal to talk about what's on the test. So we had to do some kind of trial and error on updating our, our test question banks and using you know our students' scores as a result. When they first updated, we saw a drop in about 10% in our students' scores. They were still passing. You know, you need a 70% to pass. We had most of our students passing, uh, the vast majority, uh, but we did have our first two ever not pass. That's why our success rate is not 100% anymore. I knew it was bound to happen one day, but anyways, so we saw it drop a little bit. We knew we had to react and we did. And so we went to the FA source material, you know, the PHAC, the FAR aim, and we put in some more. The, the one feedback we did get from the FAA was that they're going to do less multiple step calculations and interpolation questions and replace those with more rote memorization questions. So we looked for where we could do throw in some more rote memorization questions, what kind of subjects we could do that on. And we did that through some trial and error. We now are seeing our students get above 90% on average on the test. So we're pretty happy with where our test question bank is sitting right now and how that is preparing students. So we did that in the ground school first. Whenever we update things to changes, the FAA or whatever, we'll always update our ground school. So all our ground school members will have those updates right away in their practice tests, the flashcards, the, the quizzes, 
the lessons, all that will be updated in the ground school first. But we sell a book called the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep Book. So it's like those books out there, you know, the test prep books where it's just you got a section on a topic and it'll give like a few bullet point summaries on that topic and then I'll just have a bunch of test questions and answers and explanations for it. So we have that. We have the, the summarization and the test questions. And so we updated all those test questions to match the updates we made in our ground school. But then the reason we call it the ultimate private pilot test prep book, because we also have a bunch of visual aids, examples on like calculations, how to do things, visual aids, mnemonic devices, and we have QR codes to additional downloads. So you can just scan them with your device and to video explanations. So that's kind of why we call it the ultimate. It's really is the ultimate study guide and it's now available on Amazon. So when we did that, this is a long story to get to the question. When we did that, people were like, hey, I already bought this book. Does that mean I have to buy it again? And look, you know, we're sorry. We hate that we had to update this, but what are we going to do? The FAA changed things, so we have to update it. And we're sorry. You, you can buy the, the new book if you want. But with that book comes three free practice tests and the PDF version of the book. So there's a QR code in the back of your book and a coupon code. You scan the QR code. It takes you to a checkout page. And it will say, like, you can get the PDF for 27 bucks, right? But you put in the coupon code, that goes to zero. So then you purchase it for zero dollars. You don't even have to put in your credit card. If you do it correctly, put in the coupon code. And then with the purchase of the book on Amazon, you get the PDF version for free, which is completely updated. So even if you bought it before the update, just go to the back of the book, scan the QR code, put in the coupon code, you'll get the PDF for free, and the PDF is completely updated. So you can use that to see what, you know, what updates have been made and then and use that to study any additional changes and questions. And then also you get three free practice tests. So you'll make an account online and then those three practice tests are also updated with the new type of questions that we're using in our ground school. So that's to answer the question. If you already bought the book, you know, what do you do? Sorry, we had to update it. Sorry, you can't have that physical copy without buying another one on Amazon. But we're doing what we can and you get PDF for free. You can re-download that even if you've already downloaded it and the practice tests are updated as well. So that's it. That's up the listener question and our one review that we're going to read off today. So let's get now into our lesson. So if you're following along in the online ground school, which I highly recommend you do, you'll know that we organize our content by courses. So we have a Start here course was kind of like an introduction. Then we have a step one course. That's going to be all your lessons, quizzes, videos, diagrams, explanations, all that stuff is in the step one course. And then step two is like your practice tests and the process to get your endorsement. So it's kind of courses and steps to get your endorsement. That's kind of the flow we like and we think it, it kind of makes sense to people when, when they get in. So we're in that step one course and we're on section 15 of that course on pilot control and ground reference maneuvers. And then we're going to start on lesson one on steep turns. So let's get into that lesson on steep turns now. Performance and ground maneuvers are usually part of your early training regimen, and then they are revisited when preparing for your final check ride. It can help tremendously with saving both your time and money if you practice these maneuvers throughout your entire training in order to stay proficient without the need of redoing lessons. One thing to remember for all maneuvers is that you absolutely have to make sure your aircraft is safe to perform a maneuver before starting the maneuver. This usually involves these few things. Assure that there is no traffic within the area you plan to make your maneuvers. To do this, 
Perform clearing turns and visually scan the entire area for collision avoidance. A clearing turn can be done by turning 45 degrees to the left or right and then 90 degrees in the opposite direction so that you can have a full 360 degree visibility around you. Next, communicate that you are about to practice maneuvers. Whatever CTAF or UTICOM radio you are currently on, state your intentions for maneuvering, what altitude you will be at, and your location. For example, Cessna 5682 Whiskey, 5 miles northeast of Silver Lake at 5,500, maneuvering. Stay intent on listening to the radio to know if anyone enters your area. Repeat your call every 10 minutes or so in case any new aircraft get on your frequency or in your area. Confirm you are at an altitude of 1,500 feet AGL or more. This is to give you some time in case of an engine failure to glide to a safe landing. This might be more if you're doing this over a specific terrain. And that's another thing to think about, you know, where is your practice area? Where are you choosing to practice at? Sometimes there's designated kind of practice areas. So you want to kind of think about what happens if you're maneuvering and you stall or get into a spin or lose an engine. You know, do you have enough time to recover? And can you land in a field or at an airport or something? So those are all things to think about ahead of time. And then the next thing you want to do is confirm that you have a safe landing spot. So this is a field, dirt patch, private runway, or et cetera. And within about two miles of you, this plus the 1500 feet AGL will confirm you have the ability to glide safely to a landing in case of engine failure. So that's just an example. Those numbers don't stick to those numbers. These are just examples. And your aircraft might be different, but for a general trainer aircraft, they say about a 10 to 1 glide ratio. So that's in general, those are kind of some numbers that you might want to look at. But again, do it specific to yours. And again, I just want to say my disclaimer that all of this is just general tips and tricks. These numbers are not to be taken literally, and they will change for your aircraft. Please read the POH or AFM for your aircraft and abide to that, what the FAA says and what your instructor says. Again, these are just tips and things to think about, and all these numbers are aviation aircraft, and they might be different for yours. Then you want to have the minimum and maximum speeds for higher G-force maneuvers in mind. For example, minimum speed. Remember that the stall speed increases with load factor, and the load factor will increase in steep turns. So anything that increases the G-forces or the load factor, the same thing, it's going to increase your stall speed. So if you're doing a steep turn at a slow speed, your stall speed may increase to above that speed and you may stall out just by being in that turn. So you should know what your load factor adjusted stall speed is during that steep turn. So your aircraft should, your POH or AFM should tell you this information and you should know, you know, what about the speed range that your stall speed will be while you're in that steep turn. So you can know that, have that minimum speed in mind. Then you'll have a maximum speed. So during, again, high G-force maneuvers and turbulence, you want to stay below the maneuvering speed of VA. This speed changes depending on your aircraft and the weight of your aircraft. For example, a Cessna 172, it varies between 80 and 97 knots depending on the weight. Again, look in your POH or AFM and know, you know, for your weight before the flight, know what your maneuvering speed VA is. And that's what you want to stay below during your steep turns. So let's say, for example, a normal stall speed is 54 knots for your aircraft, but during a steep turn, that goes up to, let's say, 60 knots, okay? So that's your minimum speed. Again, these are all complete examples. They will change depending on your aircraft. 
And then let's say for your maneuvering speed and your weight, that your maximum speed is about 90 knots. So now you know you need to be between 60 and 90 knots. You can pick something like 80 knots or 75 knots. Probably 80 knots is a good speed. And you can just try and stay within a few knots of that, and that would do the trick. But these are things you've got to think of before doing a maneuver like steep turns. When with an instructor or an examiner is always good and required on your check ride to say these things out loud. Just tell them that you are thinking of all these things and are fully prepared for the maneuvers. So let's get into the maneuvers you'll be needing to pass your check ride and become a private pilot. Again, you might be thinking, well, I'm just, you know, focusing on the ground school and FAA written exam. Well, in our ground school, we go above and beyond to prepare you for your flight lessons to make those flight lessons a little bit easier on yourself because we want to try and help people having to repeat flight lessons or, or learn things for the first time in the aircraft so that you're more prepared and eventually it'll save you more money and you'll get you'll become a pilot sooner if you know this stuff. So, And then I just want to say my disclaimer one more time. This is just tips and tricks for a very common, you know, just a general average trainer aircraft. It's going to change. So do not use the exact procedures and numbers that I'm giving you. Just use them as a study tool or a way to understand these maneuvers better you will decide the numbers and the procedures with your instructor for your aircraft. So steep turns were one of the more difficult maneuvers for me during my flight training. Once I started to focus on a few simple things, though, I was able to get consistent with my procedures and was able to hit, you know, the marks to pass my check ride. And I started to see a vast improvement once I focused on those few simple things. Anyways, here's how I did my steep turns, all right, and I do my steep turns. So first of all, you want to perform your pre-maneuver checks. This is to ensure your aircraft is safe to perform maneuvers. That's the stuff we talked about, clearing turns, state your intentions, your altitude, landing spot. Then you want to choose an altitude and heading. So on your check ride, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to choose an altitude and a heading, and you're going to have to maintain that altitude plus or minus 100 feet, and then you're going to have to start at that heading and then roll into your turn and then roll out of your turn at that same heading back into straight and level flight. So then you want to configure your aircraft for straight and level flight. Usually this is by reducing power to a slow cruise speed, but not too slow, as we mentioned. The amount obviously depends on the aircraft. For the Cherokee Warrior, I flew on my check ride, I reduced power to about 2,300 and flew around 90 knots. Trim the aircraft to maintain the altitude and airspeed. Begin steep turn by turning to a 45-degree bank angle, left or right, and at the same time adding about 100 RPM to the engine power. Again, these numbers are just generalizations, so they might be different for your aircraft. Find where the horizon touches the nose of your aircraft while at 45 degree bank and maintain this position. If the horizon moves down along the nose of the aircraft, immediately pitch down slightly to correct. If the horizon moves up along the nose of the aircraft, immediately pitch up to correct. Make sure you continue to maintain 45 degree bank while, while correcting your pitch by cross-referencing with your instruments. On the Cherokee Warrior iFlow, there were two hinges on either side of the nose for the engine compartment. No matter which direction my steep turn is, I try and keep the horizon on one of those hinges. We have a visual here of this. This is one of the things that once I focused on this, it made my steep turns much, much easier. So basically, I just put the horizon so that the horizon intersected, you know, my dashboard at the same spot. You can also pick like above here in this example, we see the six pack and it's like right between the middle, the middle instruments in the six pack. So if you just have the horizon cut right through that, and stay on your dashboard at the same time, that'll help you maintain your steep turn. And then you can just think about, you cross-reference your altitude and your airspeed and stuff like that. So that was really helpful for me. And again, check out that visual aid in the ground school. 
Every so often, check your altimeter, VSI, and heading indicator. As I mentioned, about every three seconds or so, that's what I do in, in a steep turn, but your instructor might want something else. If you use the horizon on your nose tip, you shouldn't need to check your altimeter or VSI, but you should still take a glance, you know, every whatever number it is for confirmation. So it, it's going to help that horizon check is going to help you maintain that, but you still have to check and, and verify, especially if you want to continue on to like IFR flying, you got to know how to use your instruments to tell what your attitude is. And then you want to roll out about five to 10 degrees before your starting heading. So let's say we start at 270. So once you get at about 260 or 265, or if you're coming from the other direction, 280275, you want to start slowly, you know, rolling out of your turn, still maintaining that altitude and that the airspeed. And then you want to put your power back to your cruise airspeed. So whatever you increase your power bar, if you did, you want to put it back to whatever your cruise airspeed might be. And then should put you right back into straight and level trimmed configuration. So that's pretty much it. Those are the tips and tricks on the steep turns. Stuff for the FA knowledge prep. The increased load factor during a steep turn increases the stall speed. So that might be something you could be asked about on the FA exam. And then you want to avoid exceeding the maneuvering speed, which is VA during a steep turn. You also want to stay above your stall speed corrected your load factor corrected stall speed, excuse me, right? So you want to stay above that and then below the VA. So those are kind of the things to remember. And we kind of put a couple other things to remember for you check right in here as well for you guys. But that's it on steep turns. Let's go ahead and move on to turns around a point. A simple maneuver, but a little bit longer lesson because there are some things to do, you know, with winds that could affect your turns around a point maneuver and the accuracy of it. And the FAA likes to on your check ride, you know, you're going to be asked that and you're going to want to maintain that. So there's a lot of more nuances to it that we should cover. Again, I just got to say my disclaimer, all the numbers and procedures are based off just common aviator trainer aircraft. They're only used to help your understanding of the maneuver. You and your instructor must determine these numbers and procedures yourself using, you know, the proof flight manual or pilot operating handbook of the aircraft that you are using. So this is only just to help in your understanding. It's not to follow and use in your aircraft. Don't forget to do your before maneuver checklist to ensure you are safe to maneuver. The goal of turns around a point is to fly a perfect circle around a specified point on the ground while maintaining the same altitude throughout. And then again, that's plus or minus 100 feet. The turns around a point maneuver assumes a standard rate turn of three degrees per second, which at 100 knots in you know most trainer aircraft is about 15 degrees of bank. So three degrees per second tells us we will complete a full 360 degree turn in two minutes. So that's a full circle in two minutes. That's what a standard turn is. This also tells us that the circle should have a radius of about half nautical mile. Okay, so you kind of want to know these for your aircraft, right? The bank angle for a standard rate turn at a specific airspeed for your aircraft is going to change. So the numbers I use there are just for a general Cherokee Warrior or Cessna 172, right? It's about a 15 degree bank. And those are all just kind of numbers to kind of help you understand. But again, know that for your specific aircraft. All right. And that is valuable information because we know, okay, we're going to bank about 15 degrees. And then we want to stay about a half nautical mile from our center point that we're circling around the whole time. So we want to remember that because a half nautical mile is our radius of our turn. So if we say a half nautical mile away from a center point in our circle at 50 degree bank, if we just maintain that the whole time, we'll have a perfect circle. Those two things allow us in a trimmed aircraft, the aim points, a trimmed aircraft, and those two things without any wind should allow us to have that perfect circle, right? 
When I first practiced turns around a point, my instructor told me I should use a point on my wing, wing on the inside of my turn, in order to help me fly a perfect circle around the point. What he meant was to fly past the ground point so that the point looks to be touching a certain location on your wing closest to the ground point and then turn such that your bank keeps the ground point at the same wing location throughout the entire 360 degree. So you want to find a place on the ground, like a point on the ground, and then just match it with a point on your wing. And just as you turn, that was kind of the idea of what my first instructor was teaching me. And while this may have worked for some, I found focusing on the wing to be difficult and I continuously found myself tightening my circle and then having to readjust around the point until it was too late to make any more corrections. It wasn't until I moved and had to find a new instructor that I found a procedure that worked really well for me. My new instructor told me to pick the point on the ground I wished to circle as well as four points on the ground that perfectly surround the middle point of my circle and then fly over these points. So you want to pick a point on the ground, like a good point, like let's say it's like a water tower, right? Something easy to see. And then you want to kind of pick things equal distance, like a cardinal compass, right? At the point of north, south, east, west. So above, below, to the right and to the left. So north, south, east, west of that, pick four points and have them all a half nautical mile away from that water tower, whatever your center point is, have them equal distance away from that, and then just simply fly over the top of them. And when I did this, it helped me. It made them so easy. So highly recommend trying that if you're struggling with turns around a point. So you basically, when you do this, you just pick a point, a certain distance to the right of your set. So let's say you have a center point. You just pick a point to the right. Let's say there's like a road or something. It's about half a nautical mile away. You just fly to that. And then 90 degrees in front of that around your circle, you just pick another one. So you kind of turn to that. And then you look to your left, let's say we're turning to the left, you look to your left 90 degrees and find another point about half nautical mile. And you just keep doing that. You can use the same points. And that really, really helped me. So let's talk about a general procedure. Again, my any numbers and things here are just examples for general trainer aircraft, but they're going to be different for your aircraft. So please follow what's in the POH AFM and your instructor. All right. So first we want to perform our pre-maneuver checks. Again, that's clearing turns, state intentions, you know, our altitude, our landing spots, all the safety checks that we talked about. Those are very important. Then we want to choose a point on the ground to use as your reference for the maneuver. And we have a picture here, and that's the, the point X in, in the picture, in the figure here in the lesson. Choose something that will not be easy to lose visibly. Don't make it more difficult on yourself if you can't even find your point. So example, for example, like water tower, a pitcher's mound on a baseball field, large rock, hay bales. Etc. Then you want to choose an altitude to maintain. Trim your aircraft to maintain this altitude. Again, plus or minus 100 feet is a requirement on your check ride. And then, so again, these numbers are just an example, but on like a Cherokee Warrior, that might be, you know, setting power to 2300 and trimming for like 100 knots. Then you want to choose another point on the ground at a distance away from your ground reference point that you wish the radius of your flight circle to be. So again, if we want that half nautical mile, we want to choose a point that's about a half nautical mile away from that center point, And then we want to fly towards that point. And this is here in the lesson. It's point number one here in the figure. So if you're following along and you want to view that as point number one. So we fly to point number one and we've now entered our circle. And then while flying to point one, we're going to choose another point 90 degrees ahead in our circle flight path. That's about, again, a half nautical mile away. And then we'll just turn and adjust our turn along the way to fly over that circle. And the thing that I love about this is when you're just focused 
on that next point ahead to flying over it, you're going to automatically adjust for the wind and you don't have to really think about where the wind's coming from because you'll automatically adjust as you see yourself drifting inwards or outwards in your circle. You know, if you're drifting outwards, you'll increase your turn rate so that you sharpen your turn and cross over that point. It just makes it so much easier and makes you just focus on flying to that point, those four points around the circle. So then you'll just repeat this, right? Once you get over point number two, pick another point 90 degrees ahead, and then you just turn and fly towards that. And you'll start to see that you kind of have, you know, about a 15 degree bank or so, or whatever it is for your aircraft, about three degrees per second. And you just want to continuously check back on your instruments, check your attitude indicator, check your airspeed, check your altitude and all those things that you need to maintain, and easy peasy. So those are some of the tips that I have. Please check out the figure here. It kind of helps visualize all this, what we're thinking. So now this sounds easy, right? But we all know that flying is never easy because of the many factors that can change any scenario. In this instance, the winds aloft at your altitude can make it difficult to fly a perfect circle. So in order to correct for wind, you should remember the following. So again, I my kind of tip helps with that, right? If you're just aiming for a circle, but still the FAA wants you to know, and you should know how the wind from a certain direction is affecting your turns in that circle. And it is good to know it'll make flying that circle even better. So when flying in a circle with a fixed wind direction, half the circle will be upwind or headwind with a headwind, and the other half will be downwind with a tailwind. So when turning from out of a direct tailwind, your bank should be the steepest, right? Because when you're, you have a tailwind and you start to turn, it wants to push you out of the circle. So you got to steepen your bank to maintain that circle radius. And then, and again, we have visual aids of what we're talking about here. Each point around, we have a wind direction and then we have a plane flying in a circle and we have each point around it kind of telling you what your bank's going to be, whether it's going to be steep, not steep, all that stuff. When the wind is directly at your side, you should start to gradually reduce your bank to a moderate bank angle. By the time you are in a direct headwind, your bank should be the shallowest because you're just flying straight into the wind and it should be your shallowest. When the wind is directly at your side again, you would start to gradually increase your bank until you are back directly in downwind and in your steepest bank. To best remember this, I just think of the track I am making on the ground and how the wind pushing on my aircraft will affect that. When flying in a headwind, my ground speed is less and therefore I have more time to make the turn and my bank angle doesn't need to be as much. When flying in a tailwind, my ground speed is more, and therefore I have less time to make the turn, and my bank angle needs to be more. In the past, the FAA has a diagram in the Airman testing supplement, and you can be pretty, you know, it's a pretty good bet that if the FAA puts something in the Airman testing supplement, like a figure, that you might be asked and you should, you know, prepare for being tested on that figure. They might not ask specifically about turns around a point, but they'll kind of ask about like maybe flying in a rectangular pattern like in the figure they have in the airman testing supplement. So the figure in the FA, it's a square pattern, not a perfect circle, but the same thought process should be used for turns around a point such that when turning out of a tailwind, a steeper turn is required and when turning out of a headwind, a shallower turn is required. On top of that, a pilot should think about the crosswind they are turning into. When turning left out of the upwind with a headwind, the pilot will be turning into the crosswind leg of the pattern with the wind on their right wing. Therefore, the pilot would need to crab into the wind by make by banking to the right or also get pushed off that part of the rectangular pattern, right? So if you're, you know, trying to fly over a line on the ground and you have a direct crosswind to your right, 
it's going to push you to the left and you'll be pushed off the line to the left. So you have to kind of crab into the wind. You have to fight the wind to the right to counterbalance the, the force of the wind pushing you off that line so you can maintain above that line on the ground. On the flip side, when turning left out of the downwind with a tailwind, the pilot will be turning into base leg of a pattern. So we can kind of think of this as right like a landing pattern or a traffic pattern base leg of the pattern with the wind on their left wing. Therefore, the pilot would need to crab into the wind by banking to the left. Because of these wind corrections, some of the turns will be more than 90 degrees. Okay, so if we're, you know, if we're turning into a crosswind from the left or right, we'll want to turn into a crab to the left or right. And so we may turn more than 90 degrees or less than 90 degrees. Roll out after 90 degrees so your aircraft is crabbed into the wind in this situation where we have... You know, we're turning left out of a downwind with a tailwind. So like in a base leg of a pattern with the wind on our left wing, we would roll out after 90 degrees so that our aircraft is crabbed into the wind. All right, so we have a, so we're turning left out of a downwind. So we have a tailwind, right? And we're turning left. So now we have a crosswind from our left and we would want to turn more than 90 degrees. So we would roll out after 90 degrees. Yeah, so I said that correctly. And then some will be less, right? So if we were turning, we are in a headwind, and then we're turning 90 degrees out of the headwind, we would turn into right a crosswind to our right, in this case, if we're doing left-hand turns, and we would want to roll out less than 90 degrees so that we end crabbed into the wind to our right. So this is, this is really hard to talk about without seeing. So that's why we have figures in the ground school. So I highly recommend. We took this FA figure that you'll be tested on and we just put a bunch of notes on it and kind of added some aircraft and, and arrows and stuff. So go check that out so you can see exactly what you're talking about. Without the corrected turns, the held wind correction angles during your crosswind and base legs of your pattern will not be rectangular. So if you don't have these wind corrections, you're not going to have a rectangular pattern, which is what you want. It's important that you maintain a rectangular pattern in order to maintain a total distance of each leg especially base and final. So if we're assuming like a landing leg, once if you don't have these rectangular patterns perfect, it'll start to throw off the distances and your glide slopes and your speeds and all that stuff. If the wind takes you off course from a rectangular pattern such that you turn on final and are now further away from the runway, you will likely end up being low on your descent glide slope because you are still you still started your descent at traffic pattern altitude but glided for a long distance. Being detailed and disciplined on your altitudes, descent rates, turns, and distances during your patterns goes a long way to getting the right speed on finally a soft and easy touchdown and what we talked about, that stabilized approach that the FAA really wants us to accomplish. And again, we have a figure here that shows if we don't adjust for these crosswinds, how it'll affect our pattern and where we'll end up if this was a traffic pattern with, with base final legs and all that stuff. Okay. So go ahead and check that out. This is a real visual type thing that you have to look at. But essentially, I just want to review it one more time since it is tough to visualize with just words. But let's assume we have a rectangular traffic pattern, okay? And the wind is coming from the north, okay? So we have a leg where we're flying when we're flying to the north in a headwind. And then we'll take a left-hand turn and we'll fly to the west with a crosswind to our right. And then we'll turn again to the left, directly south, and now we have a tailwind. Then we'll turn again to the left, 90 degrees, to head to the east. Now we'll have a crosswind to our left. Again, the wind's coming out of the north. So when we're flying into the headwind, we'll, we won't need any wind corrections, right? We're just going to have a slower ground speed. 
And then when we turn left to the west, we're going to have a crosswind from the wind coming from our right. And it's going to want to push us to the inside of our pattern. Okay, it's going to push us off the line. It's going to want to push us to the south. So to do that, we want to crab to the north a little bit. So that turn from north to west with wind coming from the north, we're going to roll out of our turn a little bit less than 90 degrees. We're going to crab, maybe it's 10 degrees. So our total turn is going to be maybe about 80, 70, 80 degrees because we want to end up not completely west. We actually want to be a little bit to the northwest so that we're crabbed a little bit to the north and we're actually fighting that wind pushing us off our line on the ground. Okay, so then our turn from about, you know, the north, west, northwest, right, because we're a little bit crabbed, and we're going to turn to the south, that next turn will be more than 90 degrees, right? Because we're we're not completely pointed to the west, we're a little bit pointed to the north, right? So instead of 270, let's say we're at 280. Now we're going to turn to 180, so that would be a turn total turn of 100 degrees. And we want to fly, when we're flying to the south, on the south leg of our pattern, we just want to be pointed directly south because we're going to have a tailwind. It's not going to push us off left or right, so we don't have to crab into the wind. We're just going to have a higher ground speed. All right, so we fly south, and then we turn to the left again to, to turn to the east. Now, when we do this, we're going to have a crosswind from our left trying to push us more to the south and out of our, out of our rectangular box, right? And so to do that, we're going to actually want to crab sort of into our pattern to maintain that ground so it doesn't push us off out of the pattern. So we're going to actually want to crab to the north a little bit. So we're heading, we started, you know, we're heading directly south, and now we want to turn to the east. We actually want to turn a little bit more to the northeast and our turn. So we're, our turn is going to be more than 90 degrees. So if we're at 180 and we want to turn to 090, if we just stay and roll out of our turn at 090, the wind from the north is going to push us to the south. So we want to end it at about like 080 or 070, a little bit to the north. So that turn from 180 isn't going to be the 90 degrees. It's going to be a little bit like 100 or 110 degrees, so a little bit more so that we're crabbed in to the wind. So again, we can fight the wind from pushing us off our line. And then finally, since we're already crabbed a little bit to the north, our next turn when we turn back to the north is going to be less than 90 degrees because let's say we're at 070 or 080 degrees already because we're crabbed. We're just going to turn to you know zero degrees or 360. And so we only need to turn about 070 or 080 degrees. So that last turn in back into the wind, back into the headwind will just be less than 90 degrees. Okay, again, it's tough. Got to have some visual aids. We have a video that shows this as well. I'll put that in the show notes for you guys. And then check out these labeled diagrams of the actual FAA figure that you might see on your written exam. It's going to help you guys out a lot. Okay, so that is our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys have a happy new year. And let's make 2024 the year that you become a pilot. How about that? That sounds awesome, I bet, right? So let's help you do that. Please reach out if you have any questions. And yeah, until next week, I will talk to you later. Thanks. Did you know that Part-Time Pilot's Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book just won a Pulitzer Prize? Okay, no, it didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but it was just updated for the recent changes we saw made to the FA written exam. So now the book has everything that our ground school has and the same questions and test bank that our ground school has that students are averaging over 90% on the FA written exam. 
It's now up on Amazon and you can find it in our show notes on every episode. So go ahead and check that out. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with atc for bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, 
There's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring. You wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.